Boom, baby. Welcome back to Investment Fund Secrets. I'm Bridger Paintson. Today, we're going to talk about how the Fed started and how it affects your fund. I've spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious fund managers around. And now I've decided to take the plunge and start my own fund. The real question is, how will I do it with no investors and without an Ivy League degree? This podcast is going to give you the answer. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we start and build multi-million dollar investment funds. I'm Bridger Pennington, and this is Investment Fund Secrets. Hey, welcome back. I'm excited to be here with you guys. This is going to be a fun episode talking about the Federal Reserve, how it was founded, how it got started. Um, I'm pretty excited to talk about this topic uh, because it directly affects our funds how we think about money, the price of money, inflation, things that's happening in the future. The Fed can give us lots of signals for what's gonna happen in the future. And I think it's pretty interesting to, to research and figure out, while I was researching this, researching this topic, I actually learned a lot about how the Fed works, how they, they change and just tweak monetary policy that makes huge differences in our economy. Um, it's pretty interesting. So, and just a few other things, a quick little update on my fund. Uh, things are going super well with us. We, so in the past, I, and I've, I've told you this before, but I run a very niche fund, debt fund. We've been working with clients from two different companies. We've just signed contracts with seven more companies that are equal or greater. I think one or two are less than the, the original two size. So we're gonna hopefully like quadruple the size of our fund in the next six months. Um, cross, knock on wood, you know, you never know, you know, deal's not done till it's done, but um, Anyways, pretty fun. They they'll send us deals that we will service. We right now we do we're doing smaller loans, but we do about thirty to fifty a month. Hopefully that will yeah, jump a lot in the next couple of months. So it's pretty exciting. Also, my podcast guy tells me we're getting a ton of downloads to this podcast. Um, we were ranked in the top five percent of all podcasts um, on iTunes in the world, which is pretty fun. We're and we only started this like six months ago. Um, so anyways, we don't have a lot of reviews though. So if you can hop below right now, just give us a quick review. We that would really, really appreciate that um, for the for the podcast. Anyways, let's now dive in. So I'm gonna first off talk about the history of the Fed, which I think is super interesting. I love history. And then moving on forward to now and how this affects uh, funds going forward. So way back the beginning of, and we're talking about the United States, right? Beginning of the United States, setting up the constitution are, are the founding fathers. Uh, Alexander Hamilton, as made famous in the play Hamilton, which I have not seen yet. I'm dying to see. Um, my wife, we're going to probably make a trip out to New York soon and, and go watch it. Um, I love the music. Alexander Hamilton. I sing it like in the car all day. I'm a terrible singer. That was bad. I shouldn't have sung on this. But I love Hamilton. Anyways, the, the musical and everything. Um, I don't know him as a person. But anyways, Hamilton was very strong on we need to set up a central bank. And Thomas Jefferson opposed him. They went back and forth. And finally, Hamilton actually won. He was supported by the Federalist Party. They won the debate. And the first bank of the United States was chartered in, in 1791. However, in 1811, they failed to recharter the bank. So the bank goes out of commission in 1811 and it goes to the states. They wanted states to hold this power. So the centralizing banking is, is disbanded, I guess, and they start having state banks. They fill this void and start making all sorts of different monetary policy notes. Um, 
and currencies start coming into questionable in the value because you don't know, you'd go to a certain bank, they'd give you a note and it would be backed by that bank. Well, you don't know if that's just a mom and pop bank or if that's a, a bank that's all over the country. How credible is that bank? So that became a huge question was the credibility of banks where you're gonna put your money. So they finally, they, they realize there's a problem. They then create the second bank in 18, 1816 to 1836. And unfortunately, Andrew Jackson, Andrew Jackson declared it unconstitutional and vetoed its recharter in 1836. And by the way, Andrew Jackson, the guy's just crazy if you read his history. He lived with two bullets in his body for the majority of his life. They couldn't, the surgeons or whatever, couldn't, it was too close to his heart, couldn't get it out. He lived, he had two bullets in his body his entire life from duels that he had with different people, which um, is just crazy. So he vetoes it. Um, this opens up what they call the free banking era. By 1860, there were nearly 8,000 state banks operating, issuing their own paper currency, which kind of sounds a lot like cryptocurrency today. Um, <laughs> sorry, all you crypto people out there, but that's kind of what it sounds like, right? You have all these just individually started currency. Anyone could start a currency. You didn't know what the value was of it. If it went up like crypto, great. Everyone's happy. And then it could go to zero. Um, overnight. So the problem what happened though, was there were lots of bank panics or they call it like a run, run on the bank where everyone uh, would, maybe rumors would spread that this bank is incredible. So people would go to the bank and say, Hey, I want to just pull all my money out. And bank banks wouldn't hold enough reserves in their banks to be able to pay everyone out all the time because they would lend it out to different people. So if everyone came and did a run on the bank, only the first, I don't know, 100, 200, 500 people that showed up would get paid out. And then they'd say, sorry, we're out of money. And the bank would shut down. Uh, these were called runs. They're, it was scary, right? Because you have your life savings at a bank. Everyone else tries to pull out deposits and now you have no money anymore. You have paper notes that are worthless, like cryptocurrency could be. I'm sorry to, to keep keep hammering cryptocurrency, but it's kind of, it just sounds the same. So by the 1900, there were over 30 thousand different currencies or notes in the United States, which is just crazy. And then there was, so this led up to 1907. Uh, this was the, the most major bank panic that, that has ever happened in the United States. Um, hundreds of banks had runs all at the same time. And if you guys have read Reminiscence of a Stock Operator, fantastic, legendary book. I, um, I recently read it. I, I love it to death. They talk about this run in 1907. Um, now the book, I'm just going to do a quick aside on that book. It is, it is, um, written by, uh, an author and the names have been changed in it. But the, the story goes that he interviewed, uh, this, this guy is a stock operator every month or two months. And he would tell his stories and they published it in the paper in papers over a, a pan of about eight years, they published his stories. And then they finally consolidated it into this book, Reminiscences of a Stock Operator. And they, uh, historians have gone back and just, and it, they've said, well, it sounds, you know, supposedly it was supposed to be a kind of a novel or a, a not, not a, a true book. They didn't, nobody knew if it was true or fake. They went back, it is so accurate to the detail of the ups and downs historically of the stock market that he, cause a lot of the book is him talking about, oh, corn went down this week and, and, and cotton went up and I shorted this and made money here. And, and um, it's too accurate to be fake. Uh, the, the stats in the book are so accurate that they, historians go back and say, this book has to be real. There has to be a real person that did this. Um, and they have a few, anyways, you can research a few theories of who actually the real person is. 
Um, he ended up making, he turned, he started with a thousand dollars, turned it into five. He ended with $5 million at the end of his life and actually shot himself, uh, committed suicide because he had lost a ton of money. He still had $5 million, shot himself, um, which back then is, is, I don't know how, what the conversion is today, but just crazy. Anyways, that was an aside. So in 1907 though, he talks about JP Morgan. So there's a huge run on the banks. All the banks are failing. No one can get money out. JP Morgan, the original JP Morgan steps in and says, I will personally fund all of the banks and make sure that they have money to lend out. So he steps in, solves, and he talks about this in the book, uh, how he told everyone, just go to the banks tomorrow morning, there's gonna be money there. And sure enough, next morning, JP Morgan had personally funded all the banks, giving out notes, um, and I'm sure he made a killing on that. Um, but he essentially saved the economic uh, structure of the country. So, um, President Wilson, Woodrow Wilson, saw this as a huge problem. He said, we need to fix this. So they st- um, decided to create the Federal Reserve, so the Fed, and he called for a National Monetary Commission to evaluate the bank response to prevent ongoing financial panics, bank failures, and business bankruptcies. So Congress passes this in 1913, and that has been the Fed ever since. And since then, they've done lots of tweaks and changes um, that I won't go through, but that's when the Fed was founded. And they have three main jobs. Number one is to manage inflation. So they're gonna set reserve rates, interest rates, they're gonna oversee banking, and then they're gonna oversee unemployment and help with unemployment as well. Um, and they have a, obviously they do a lot of different things within, those are pretty broad, but they're, they're like primarily managing those three pillars within their policy. So, and how it's structured is so interesting. The Fed is not, part of the government. It is created outside externally from the government so that politics wouldn't get involved with the Fed, which I think is pretty cool and a little bit scary at the same time. So the Fed has um, its board. So its board though is elected by Congress and, and the president will elect people to the board. They're ratified by Congress, I guess you could say. Um, but the other how many, seven board members, and then the, and then the uh, four of the remaining 11 bank presidencies are, presidents are members. So just bank presidents of 11 or 12 largest banks in the country are on and part of the Fed, the bank presidents, which is kind of interesting, right? You put the bank presidents in charge of interest rates and to change things, which I just wonder, you know, talk about insider trading. Um, <laughs> they have, the bank presidents are running the Fed and changing monetary policy, hopefully to help the country as a whole, but probably sometimes to help their banks as well. Um, anyways, just that's just my, my thought. So they did this though. So each person is in there for, for 14 year terms, which is pretty cool, right? Because a huge critique of the American democratic policy is you have people in for such short term terms as presidents four years. Um, they're, they're not thinking about long-term plays. I mean, you have guy, you know, you have Putin in Russia. He's been in for like 30 years, right? He's got, He's got huge plans, right, for the next decades of Russia going forward. Same with China, right? You have the um, Prime Minister of China. He's, he's not looking at four-year terms. He's looking at five, 10, 20, 30 years. Where are we gonna put China? Which gives them, in some ways, a strategic advantage against the United States because they have longer-term plays versus we have a short-term play where a president might get in and say, we're gonna boost the economy like crazy. I don't care what happens you know, in eight or you know, nine years. I just care about my four or eight years that I'm in my term. Um, a lot of people you know, criticize uh, Obama's administration or even um, 
or even uh, a Bush's administration for that, right? With Alan Greenspan of, of um, his monetary policy with the Fed. Anyways, we, we're not going to dive into politics on this on this podcast. Not going to do that. But that's what people criticize America about is the short-term plays versus that kill kind of long-term structure. So the Fed is created to help with long-term structure. Now, a few things I want to talk about um, with this, so how this affects funds, is when you look at the reserve rate, Fed funds rate is how banks lend to each other, how much they'll lend to each other, and how they tweak these little changes. So the last year, they've actually, they changed their mind, which is pretty crazy. The Fed usually will tell you, you can read their notes, hey, the next year we're going to raise interest rates maybe twice or once or twice this year. You can read it out. They'll write it out and send it out and publish it. They publish that. We're going to keep raising rates through 2019 and then 2020. Well, guess what happened? Mid-2019, they reversed their outlook and said, we're actually going to lower rates, which has spurred an, an immense uh, rush in the economy of oh, everyone's, everyone's getting very conservative, saying next year, maybe 2020, there's going to be some type of downturn, uh, market, market turn somehow. Um, because the Fed is lowering rates, which is an economic indicator that the, they're trying to buffer the economy as it goes down. Um, now, there's lots of things that play into that and lots of people that, that speculate that. I'm not going to speculate that. I'm not an economist. I'm not, that's not my forte, but that's what happened this year. Now, something I do want to talk about, though, is the Federal Reserve rate with banks. Now, I want to talk about this with the cost of money. This is something that's blown my mind, is what can happen here. So, Right now, I believe the, the uh, reserve rate is around, it changes, but it's around 15 or 16 times. So what that means is if, uh, if I put in $1 million into your bank, you can go out and lend, create loans out of thin air, 16, 15 to $16 million of loans out of thin air, which is freaking crazy, right? That for every dollar we put into banks, they can create 16 times that. So that's how the, the Fed manages inflation. Um, in the past, it was like one or two times. It's gone to four, it's gone to eight, it's gone now to 16, uh, which I believe, I just, in my mind, is just is just huge that they can lend out that much money and create money out of thin air for that. Um, a lot of people think about money as a, a zero-sum game of, well, if I make a dollar, I'm taking a dollar away from somebody else. That's not true at all. When you put a dollar into the bank, you're creating 16 more dollars. Um, money's just be created into thin air. Now, to take that one step further, there are funds out there called SID funds, S-I-D, SID funds. These funds, they, can, they have that reserve rate 16 times. They then can take that money, and I don't know how this is legal, but they can take this, that money, let's say it's 16 million, right? It's a million dollars in. They take 16 million. They can go to, I believe it's the World Bank over in Europe. They can take that money and leverage it another 15 times. Okay. So out of nowhere, out of $1 million, they can create. So what's 15? I'm going to do the math real quick. 15 times 15, $225 million from $1 million that you put in as a deposit. They can now have $225 million pretty much at free free money that you just created. They can issue that out in loans, in debt. Kind of interesting, right? And Ray Dalio, I just read a recent article by him. He mentions this, the reserve rate, how much money is in the economy. And he just, his, his kind of thought was, I don't know how long this can last of how cheap money is right now. Now, 
I, I'm not gonna tell you what's gonna happen in the future. I have no idea what's gonna happen in the future. I'm just telling you right now, there is so much money that's created, currency, liquid dollars. For instance, you look at negative interest rates around the world. My dad, in his interview, we talked about this. So in Japan, in Germany right now, you have negative interest rates. And I'll probably do a future episode about this uh, to explain this more, but negative interest rates. You are guaranteed to lose money on that. Now I understand if deflation times, you're gonna have negative interest rates, but like seriously, negative interest rates, the way I can put it into simple terms is I'm sitting on a beach, right? I'm Germany, okay, I'm sitting on a beach. You come to me with a cup of sand, okay, and I'm surrounded by sand everywhere, and you say, Bridger, or Germany, I'm Germany, right? Bridger, Germany, can you, can you hold my cup of sand for a little bit? I'm gonna go do something else, can you hold it? And I say, ah, I've got so much sand around me, I've got so much money around me, yeah, I guess I'll hold your sand, but it's gonna cost you, you know, a couple pennies. You say, great, I would, that's fine, just make sure to protect it, and they say, great. That's how it's kind of working. You're giving them money, buying their bonds, knowing, guaranteed to lose money on that. Like, you can't find another, a better investment in the world. You can't find it, you can't go to US Treasury, you can't go somewhere else that's gonna be a better investment than a guaranteed loss. This is happening in Australia, um, Japan and Germany right now uh, they're structuring the first ever uh, IPO um, or excuse me there's not IPO they're gonna issue corporate bonds that are negative interest rate bonds corporate bonds that are negative. <laughs> like how is that even possible right um, I'm not gonna tell you what the future hold I'm not gonna give you my analysis of what I think the future is gonna hold I'm just telling you what's currently happening and you can try to put the pieces together uh, interest rates are falling all over the world Money is getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper for everybody. There's more and more money. As you see all these, and, and a lot of funds right now, you see um, Berkshire Hathaway, you see uh, Blackstone, you see KKR sitting on more cash than they've ever sat on ever right now, just waiting in dry powder, uncommitted capital, or just cash, waiting to deploy into investments. And there is so much money out there. Um, it's very interesting to see what's gonna happen in the next you know, one, two, three, five years um, in our economy. And I'm very curious because things just seem very upside down. Now, another thing I wanna talk about that seems upside down in my brain, and maybe somebody can DM me after and help me figure this out. President Obama, in his eight years, spent more money than all the other presidents combined. In the history of the United States, President Obama spent more money in his eight years, printed more money, created more money, and spent more money in his eight years that all the rest of the presidents combined to his date. How does he do that? And inflation stays at 2%, right? One and a half, it's 1.9, now it's 2.1. How does inflation just keep going? So that doesn't make sense. You go to economics 101 and ask your economics teacher and you do little models. That doesn't make sense at all. And what they keep doing is they keep taking things out of inflation the inflation calculation. They say, oh, well, we're not gonna calculate with cars anymore. We're gonna take the, the inflation on cars doesn't count anymore, we're gonna take that out. Oh, we're gonna take out, um, I don't know the other ones, we're gonna take out milk, bam, out of the out of the inflation calculation. Like, really? You're gonna take out cars out of the inflation calculation? Like, what, what are you gonna, they keep taking things out of that calculation to keep it at 2% um, when we're spending more money issuing, having more debt in our economy than ever before um, how does inflation stay exactly the same? Now, somebody, please, if you have more insights, DM me. I'm not an economist. I'm just telling you what I've seen, and I'm trying to piece it together with uh, with the Fed specifically and with how this affects macroeconomics, which I think is just 
fascinating. So when thinking about your fund, think about leverage. I mentioned before, you can have 16 times or up to maybe 225 times if you can get the licensing and everything approved. That's Those are huge funds called SID funds that can do that with the World Bank. But that's how cheap money is. That's how someone can, I've talked about leverage in previous episodes. How can somebody make, you're like, how can somebody make money on a, you know, a 3.5% interest rate, right? It's because they're only putting in maybe 10% of that principal and they're leveraging the other 90% and they're actually, their investors are getting a, a 10 plus return, right? And the other banks are leveraging their money to give you that money and you're leveraging money to give them that money. That's how our debt fund works. My debt fund, I issue debt to people at a rel- you know a fair interest rate. They don't know on the back end, I'm actually leveraging other people's money at a lower interest rate and taking the spread on that, right? I get money at 4%, I'm lending it out at 8%. I'm making a 4% spread. And to my investors, that gives them a, a 16 plus IRR. Very interesting when running a fund, thinking about how you can leverage and watching interest rates fall, and it sounds like they're gonna keep falling around the entire world. All the interest rates are falling right now. Um, Money seems to be cheaper. We have so much money, like a beach. We're sitting on a beach with money everywhere, with sand everywhere, and saying, well, sand is just so plentiful that we're just gonna let it out cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, and when, like Ray Dalio says, I don't know how long this can last. Anyways, those are my two cents. It's a longer episode, but I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, Next couple episodes, I'm going to talk more about this. But anyways, I want to end here. And love you all. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Love you all. Peace. Hey, what's going on? I know a lot of you out there are starting funds or thinking about starting funds. And something I was so grateful for was having mentors. When I started my first fund, I had people to turn to and to ask questions. And so what I've decided to do is make the same thing for you. So what we've done is compiled a lot of interviews, things that I've learned, my personal pitch decks that I've used to pitch investors and put it all into what I call a mini vault. So in there, I deep dive into Forex funds, into real estate funds, how to structure them, how to structure deals, how to find investors. And I try to go deep to help mentor you to help you start your first fund. And in addition to that, we have a private members group on Facebook that fund managers are getting together on there and talking and working through problems together. So if this is interesting to you. If you want to get involved and get some help right off the ground, go to investmentfundsecrets.com for less than 100 bucks. You can get started and get into the mini vault. And I would love to see you in there on the Facebook group and talk with us. Thanks. See ya.